I have a question that I want to start with as we think about the church. This morning, specifically, we're going to think about the body of Christ. What is the mission of the church? What is the church supposed to be doing? If we were to come up with a vision for Shawnee Baptist Church and the kinds of things that we should give our attention and focus to, what would that be? Often, uh, when churches bring uh, on new senior pastors, there is a lot of interest in that very thought of, well, what, what is the church supposed to be doing? What is the vision? What is the mission of the church? Some of those questions came to me even in the Q&A a few weeks ago, right? And, and it's great to be thinking about those things. Well, what should we be doing as a church? Well, I so appreciated the emphasis that Pastor Ryan Bowen had last week as I listened to his message that oftentimes we get thinking about, well, what is the church supposed to be doing? And he encouraged us to go back to the beginning simply thinking, well, who is God and what has he made his church to be? And that helps us focus then to understand what we're supposed to do. Of all of the things that have been written about what a church is supposed to do. There are many, many books about the mission of the church and what the church is supposed to do. I don't think we've given enough attention to what the church is. I think if we would work harder at defining what the church is, what God has made the church to be, I think some of what the church is supposed to do would begin to take care of itself. And so for the next few weeks, I want to do a little series on word pictures of the church. There are many images, many word pictures that the New Testament writers use to describe the church. One of them is the body of Christ. This is a word picture. This is an image, something that the New Testament writers were trying to describe the church and there are many, many, many of these in Scripture, but for a, just a few weeks, I want to look at some of them. We'll look at each one. You think of the, the, the body of Christ. You think of the church as a building. You think of the church as the bride of Christ. These are some of the word pictures of the church. And all we're going to be focusing on is this is what the church is. This is what God has made the church to be. And I think that'll then help us. We'll draw out some implications. So because of that, here's the types of things we should be doing. But I want us to focus on what is the church and what has God made it to be. So as we go through that, here's a, let, me, let me give you just a couple of caveats as we jump in. One, heads up, fair warning, we're going to be jumping to a whole bunch of scripture passages this morning. Dr. Russ read for us Ephesians 4. I often like to stay in one passage and work all the way through it. However, I'm going to try to jump to several passages this morning uh, that use the phrase the body or the body of Christ and relate it to the church and we'll try to work through several of them together. I've set it up. Actually, I didn't set it up. Thankfully, uh, it just worked out well this way. We're going to start in Romans chapter 12. So if you want to find Romans 12, and then we're just going to keep going forward a couple pages at a time. You'll never have to go backwards. There's one place we have to go backwards, one chapter, but you're a smart bunch. We'll get there, and we'll just be able to keep flipping towards the end of the book as we start in Romans chapter 12. Second caveat I need to talk about is this, that in the phrase, the body of Christ, uh, every time you see these words used in Scripture, and even the passages we're going to look at, it doesn't always mean the same thing in every instance. 
So some of the phrases we're going to look at, you're only going to see the phrase, the body. And other times you're going to see the body of Christ. And remember that they don't always use, they don't always encompass the same body of thought. Remember, the authors of the New Testament are trying to capture the, the many different facets of the church. They're trying to capture the many, the, just these multi-layered dimensions of what it means to be the church. And so every time you see every word used, most of the scriptures we're using this morning, hold on, all, all of the scriptures we're using are by Paul this morning, okay? And so as he writes, uh, we'll understand that every time he uses the phrase, sometimes he's using it in a little bit of a different nuance. Let me give you one example. We're going to talk this morning, and we'll go to the book of 1 Corinthians eventually, and you'll see in 1 Corinthians where it uses the word head as a member of the body, and in that instance, uh, it's simply saying that it's using the idea of the head as a member of the body, and yet later when we go to Ephesians and Colossians, it's specifically referring to Christ, that Christ is the head of the church. And so just remember that sometimes you see the same word and it doesn't always translate to the exact same circle of meaning in every instance that it's used. And this makes sense even as we start getting into some of the others, the idea of the building, the bride of Christ, all these different things. Why are there so many images of the church? Why are there so many word pictures of the church? Well, you see, the, the beauty and glory of the church it is so vast and so complex uh, that God, it makes sense that God used many different word pictures, many different illustrations to help us understand this organization called the church. As Ryan Bowen brought out last week, the, the, the multifaceted, multicolor glory of God, kaleidoscope of God, his glory is displayed to supernatural beings through the church. And it's such a big, beautiful picture that there are many, many different word pictures used to describe and illustrate that. So, for us this morning, the body of Christ is what we're going to jump into. And as we go through it, I want us to work through it in two different ways. First, we're going to be thinking about the church as the body. And we're going to look at a couple passages that refer to the church as the body. And we're going to think about what that means, especially when you think of the church as the body. What we're thinking of there is the connectedness and the unity of the body, our interdependence on one another. And once we wrap that up, we'll look at a few passages. We'll talk about several implications of what it means that the church is the body. And then we'll go to a couple passages that talk about the body of Christ. And what it means specifically that Christ is the head of the body, that Christ leads the body, that Christ is the uh, chief shepherd of the church. And we'll look at some implications of what does that mean. And here's, here's the big thing that I hope you walk away with if you're taking notes. The one thing that I hope you capture and gather this morning is this. It's that, it's that the body needs you, and you need the body of Christ. The body needs you, and you need the body of Christ. We're going to start with that idea of the body needs you, that you are a member of the body. Specifically, what I'm referring to here is we understand and realize that anyone who turns from their sin and places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross, there's a sense in which they, uh, at that moment they are saved, their sins are forgiven, it's a reality that they're a member of the universal church. 
what we mean when we say the universal church is they are God's child, right? They're, they are forgive, their sins are forgiven. They have eternal life. There is a... God will not look someday and say, were you a part of a member of a local church to decide whether or not your sins are forgiven? That truth, and that's not to say that's not important. You've heard me say enough how much I think that is important to know that that's not what I'm saying there. But we realize that to be forgiven, to be a part of the universal church, all brothers and sisters in Christ in all times and all places, we realize that that is simply the truth of, of, of the gospel and turning from sins and placing our faith and trust in Christ. However, Scripture also makes it clear that then we, those of us who are sons of God, unite with other sons and daughters of God in local churches. And we agree to these same truths and we say, yes, we are on Team Jesus in this place, in this location, with these brothers and sisters. And so as Scripture, you've got those two different instances of the church. One universal with all times, all places. One local in a specific time and place, just like we are here at Shawnee Baptist Church. And so as we go through these scriptures, many of these truths are relating to the universal church, all of God's children that uh, have been saved at all times, and we realize the unity of the church, and we realize the togetherness of the church, and yet what is true for the universal church is also true of the local churches. And so as we go through this, we'll see that just as we are united together, uh, in the large sense, in the macro sense, in the micro level here at the local church, we are united together as well. So I want you to see Romans chapter 12. We can go ahead and go to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to go through several scriptures and try to go through them quickly, and you're going to see several of these. Here is where, here is where we understand that the body needs you, the interdependence and the connectedness of the body. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 says this, For, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You see what Paul is saying here? He's saying that, that just as we have one body, one church, it's made up of many members. And there's different gifts. In the context, he's talking about the way the different gifts are given to the church and what they accomplish. And he realizes that even though there's many different gifts, there's one body. There, there's one connected body in the church. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, and you'll see this exact, it's really the exact same thought carried out in greater detail. And for several chapters here in this section of 1 Corinthians, Paul is explaining how he wants life to work in the church, how they're supposed to be using their gifts in the church, how the body is supposed to serve one another in terms of their gifts. So let me read quite a long section because he's going to start to illustrate what this means, that if we're, he's comparing the church and the members of the church to the human body and the fact that everything I have is one body. My hands are separate than my feet, but it's still my body. My nose functions differently than my ear, but there's a connectedness to the body. If something is uh, wrong with the nose, then the whole body is going to be affected. You will see me continually popping cough drops and trying to drink this warm tea to keep from coughing, because even though that's only right here in my throat, it's affecting all of me this morning, and all of you get to benefit from that. That's great. We're one body this morning, right? 
1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Look what he's emphasizing. The body, it's not just one member, it's many. He wants them to see how diverse the body is, how many different members are in the body. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So here's the emphasis so far in the verses we've looked at, and we're going to keep going. There's one body, but a whole bunch of different members. And then at the last verse I read, verse 20, he's saying, even though there's a bunch of different members, it's one body. And now he's going to come back to the unity, and he's going to emphasize that in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body and given greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. See how he's stressing the unity? Verse 26, if one member suffers all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Here's, here's the truth. He's saying we are a body. There, there are no parts to this body that don't matter. There are no parts to the body that can be done away with. And so the truth is, is that we are a very diverse group of bodies, a very diverse group of members in the body of Christ. This is true both in the universal church. This is true here at Shawnee Baptist Church, that God has given a diverse group of gifts, a diverse, because that's the context specifically here in Corinthians, that God has gifted and uniquely made his church and put it together such that nobody can say there's an unimportant member in the church or that we would be better off if that person was done away with in the church. That doesn't work when we understand the concept of the church as a body. And yet, not only is there diversity, there's a lot of unity in the church, that everyone fits together as one. And so we understand that as well. And he even emphasizes then that there's rejoicing and suffering together. And this, this unity of the church is something that ought to, we ought to constantly be reminded of as a church, that we are one body. We fit together. God has put us together, and God has given his church uh, one of the things that communion represents 
probably not the primary thing, but one of the things it represents, certainly not the primary thing. The primary thing is what it represents in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But a very significant implication of what that means is that that's the truth that binds us together as a body. Here's the one place that you need to go backwards a chapter. Go to chapter 10, backwards two chapters. Verse 16, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Often when we do the communion table, we go to 1 Corinthians 11 where he outlines some of the instructions and the ways the church was getting that wrong. But here in chapter 10, he begins talking about how significant the cup and the bread is and what it represents and symbolizes in the life of the church. And so he says, Paul says this in chapter 10, verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Robert Saucy said it this way, commenting on this uh, idea. He said, the many believers who partake of the one bread, which symbolizes the body of Christ, are by this partaking bound into a unified body. We are one body. We are unified. God has put us together in the church in this way. So, what does it mean that the church is a body? And how should we think and live out of that? I want to walk through several implications. I've got five implications of what this means for us as a church, that we are the body. What does it mean that God has set his church up like a body? Well, one of the things, and I've already talked about it, simply we ought to stress the idea that there is both unity and diversity in the body of Christ. We ought to be a people who, on the one hand, just as we talked about when we went through the gospel of, uh, excuse me, when we went through the book of Philippians, that we strive to stay united, we work together at how important unity is in the life of the church, that because we are a body, we need to be extremely unified. When, when one part of the body is affected, all of the parts of the body are going to be affected. We'll look at that just a little bit later on, but that's how important unity is in the life of the church. But not only unity, we're also extremely diverse. Have you ever thought about how different your fingers are than your eyelids? Unbelievable that God would put that together to accomplish two totally different functions. And I wouldn't really want to live life without either one. I mean, it's indispensable. We, we, God has given his church such a diverse set of gifts, and we need to realize that, understand that, appreciate that. We ought to be praying that God would continually build our church and his church. Uh, he is building his church in diverse ways, so this has a special application to us as a local church that let us not be a people who simply enjoy worshiping with people who look like us or maybe are in the same social or economic uh, background as us. We ought to enjoy the fact and appreciate God's diversity when people who look different than us uh, come to worship here, live in different houses than us, perhaps even smell different than us. Weird to think about. 
But that needs to be needed in the body of Christ, that we come together, we love one another. What draws us together is not our common commitments uh, to certain things of life. Uh, If you want to worship in a place where everyone looks like you and talks like you and acts like you, go join a country club. You will find better community there. This is the church, and there's diversity in that, and God has designed it that way. So there's unity and diversity. Second application to think about here is that there's no room for solo Christians. This idea that, yes, I'm a part of the universal church, okay? That idea that I have, uh, I, I'm in the body of Christ because my sins are forgiven and I understand the gospel. That, that, that line of thinking uh, that somehow you don't need the local church, it just doesn't fit with the New Testament writings. There is no concept of the solo Christian. To be a member of the universal church, to have your sins forgiven, was to be a part of a local church. I think you have this quote by Earl Rodmacher in your bulletin, Paul believed in the togetherness of Christians with Christ. No man was connected to Christ by himself, but only with others. As we went through 1 Corinthians 12, if you think you don't need the local church, I don't know if you're a hand or an eye or a foot or a toenail. I don't know what you are, but you're looking at the rest of the body and saying, I don't need you. But here's the truth. You need the body and the body needs you. Uh, And God has designed it that way, and so there's no room for solo Christians. A second thing to pull out of this 1 Corinthians 12 passage, one of the last verses I read was verse 26. uh, uh, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So the fact that we're a body connects us in really unique ways, and it ought to. We ought to be striving to be connected to the body so that when one person rejoices, all rejoice. When one person suffers, all suffers. And it's not, even of a church of our size and the number of people that God has given us here, it's not that every single person can know every single person. Everyone can't know everybody. But everyone needs to be known. Everyone needs to be connected to the body in such ways that when you suffer, there's others suffering with you. When you're rejoicing, others are rejoicing with you. And here's what this means. That that sense of community, which I think deep down all of us long for, yes, it's not easy and natural and we have to fight and work towards it, that sense of community, guess where it comes from? It comes from commitment to the body. So often we want community, but we're hesitant and scared to get committed. And yet Paul is trying to help us see that's where the community comes from in the sense of the commitment to the body. And we need the two to go together. So those are three applications, implications so far. There's unity and diversity. Number two, there's no room for solo Christians. Number three, community comes from commitment. Number four, there's no room for pride in the body. If this is true, what Paul has said, that God has gifted his church in the way he has and given the gifts to every member, and God has made different members different with different gifts, then there's simply no room for pride. Earlier I read to you Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. I want you to see what comes around that, okay? In 4 and 5, 
uh, is what I read. Look what verse 3 says of Romans 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And he goes on for the next several verses to describe some of these gifts. So if this is true, that God puts his, the, the members of his church together, there is no room for pride in the body of Christ. Just because someone might have one gift or function in the church and someone else might not, these gifts are only given to the church because of God being a good giver and he is the one who has done this and there's no room for any of us to think more highly than we ought to think. And so we've got to understand that, that there's, there's really no room for pride. None of us can look at certain members of the body and say we would really be fine if they weren't here. doesn't work that way let us work together as a church there's no room for pride fifth implication and uh, this is simply just a thought to think about it doesn't come from one of the texts but this this idea of the church being a body this is a reality it's not a goal does that you catch the difference it'd be one thing if Paul said guys try work harder at being a body you're you're a body try to act like being a body right he, he doesn't say the goal for you is to try to love like a body loves he says you are a body it's for better or worse this is an organic reality we're a body and if the body has cancer well guess what we suffer Right? We are a body. And so these things affect the church and we realize that. And, and so therefore, if this is true, we want to do everything we can to understand, okay, well, well, if God has put the body together and if it's functioning the way he put it together and if there's things that need be, to be corrected in the body, well, how do we start going about that? I mean, who makes those decisions? Who tells the body how to function? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. That's where we're going to go next, all right? Because not only is the church a body, but the church is the body of Christ. And so if the church is the body of Christ, this gives us all of the implications we need to understand about who starts calling the shots in the body. How does the church function, and how is it supposed to work together? And what does it mean? Who is, who's the head of the body? And how to, if, if my hand picks up this remote, if my hand waves this Bible, if my foot does who who is how is that happening i mean yes my hand is moving but my head is telling my hand to move right it's the same thing in a church and we need to understand some of these pictures and now paul begins to shift the metaphor and he's not just talking about the church as a body he's talking about the body has a head and it's the body of christ this is christ's body the church is the body of christ and i want you to see some of these verses so we're going to go first to the book of ephesians 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 chapter 4, and this is what Dr. Russ read for us earlier. So let me just read through this passage, and here's what Paul says. And he gave the apostles, 
the pro speaking of Christ, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, so different functions within the church, and uh, specifically the apostles and prophets have already taken place in terms of church history, and they built the foundation of the church. And now there are still shepherds and teachers, evangelists working, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now he talks about the body of Christ. And even in 1 Corinthians 12, even as he was talking about different members of the body, he used the phrase, the body of Christ. And so now he says that God's given different officers to the church, different gifts to the church in, the ter in terms of shepherds, teachers, evangelists, and they are equipping the saints for the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather, speaking the truth in love, here's the key phrase, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you catch what's happening, what Paul is saying? That the church, God is growing the church, he's equipped the church, he's given the church gifts, uh, and, and he has given the church pastors, teachers, shepherds, evangelists who can equip the saints, you, to do the work of the ministry so that all of us grow up into Christ, into matureness in Christ. We're going to come back to this passage later on when we think of the idea of the church being a building, and we'll think a little more specifically of how the gifts are used and what some of our functions are in the church. But for now, what I want you specifically to see is that the goal is to grow up into the likeness of the head, Christ, the one who leads the church. And there's more understanding in that, even as you go to the next chapter, in chapter 5, when he begins to talk about the husband-wife marriage relationship, and he compares it to the church. And so let me just read several verses here. And he says, just like a husband leads his wife, so Christ leads the church. And we need to catch and understand this. He says in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We'll again come back to this passage when we think of the church being the bride of Christ. But for now, what I want you to see is that Christ is the head of the church. 
Christ leads the church. He gives the church what it needs in that loving provider, protector, nourisher, sanctifying role that Christ is the head of the church. He leads the church. Flip a few pages over to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And there's a few verses here that talk about the supremacy of Christ. You're going to see Christ is not only head of the church, but that he's the ruler of all, that he takes greatest priority and supremacy. And look at these and notice the key phrase when we get to the very end of the passage. He, speaking of Christ, verse 15, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And, verse 18, do you see it? He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Christ is the head of his body, the church. That's true of the universal church. That's true of Shawnee Baptist Church. Look just a a few verses later in chapter 2. I'm pulling out one verse here. Uh, In the verses surrounding it, there's some conflict going on. There's some that uh, through pride and other means are, are causing problems. They're spreading false teaching. The problem is that they have gotten disconnected from the head. They've gotten disconnected from Christ, and because of that, it's beginning to introduce some serious problems. And as he's describing where their error is and what they've done, he says that they are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, so they're not holding fast to Christ from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. You see what happened? That they they got disconnected from Christ and it was leading to all kinds of problems. F.F. Bruce commenting on this passage says, each part of the body functions properly so long as it is under the control of the head. If it escapes from this control and begins to act independently, the consequences can be very distressing. It is under the direction of Christ then that the various parts of his body function harmoniously together since they share his common life and grow to maturity under the fostering care of God. Supplied with nutriment and fitted to each each other by means of the joints and ligaments. So as we think about some of these passages, not only are we a body, but specifically here we're the body of Christ. What does it mean that Christ is our head? And how do we think about some of the implications here? I've got just a few more implications for us to think about when it relates to us being the body of Christ and Christ being the head of the church. So, Let me return to the question that I started to say earlier. If we're a body, how do we decide how the body functions? How do we decide who calls the shots, who leads the church? That's a a significant question, right? We often, when we start thinking about, well, who's in charge, is a question of authority, right? Who, Who calls the shots? Who has the authority? We are a congregational church. Does the congregation lead the church? You just voted on me as senior pastor. Does the senior pastor lead the church? One of my children was excited on the day that it was announced that, uh, that I was a senior pastor. They thought I would now get to pick the menu at church dinners and functions like that. <laughs> we got some explaining to do of how this process works. That's not what 
happens, right? So often when we think about authority, we, a really good question to ask is it's not just authority, it's responsibility. All authority is derivative. What do I mean by that? Who leads the church? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We've got to understand that that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd of the church. All authority belongs to him. And so then he has, he has delegated out his authority in different ways. And so you would read the New Testament and realize and understand the congregation has a certain authority to make certain decisions within the church. And that is why we are a congregational church, that there are decisions that the congregation is the highest level of human authority that we can get to within this body. Uh, and yet, that, what, what does that mean? We've talked about it before. When the congregation votes, it's not the will of the people that run the church. It's the will of Jesus Christ. And it's the people of God through the Spirit of God coming together to make decisions and determine what the mind of Christ is on a certain matter. And therefore, unity is not uniformity. We can realize and understand that, that why does the congregation get together and make decisions and decide who the elder is and some of the significant decisions uh, that will affect the unity and health of the church? Why would that need to happen? Well, because of the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer, you have just as good a connection to the mind of Christ as I do. And God has established that the church, the members of the church, ought to have that authority in deciding some of these things. Now, that doesn't mean that the congregation rules supreme in all areas. I think you would look at, at Scripture and see that God has delegated certain authority to elders and certain responsibility. Remember, there's the key word. That, to elders that doesn't belong to the congregation. A certain responsibility that belongs to deacons, that doesn't belong to elders, these types of things. And we would say, okay, well, God has delegated, Christ has delegated out his authority in the church, and different people function in different ways, and so we need to ask, well, who is responsible to do what? And, and we'll get to some of that in the future. We won't go through all of that now, but just to understand then, so who leads the church? Well, it's even a benefit to think of, as you think of, Pastor, so what even is my role as a senior pastor? And one of the benefits of the way God has designed his church is that in normal, ordinary circumstances, there's a plurality of elders that come together and share together the responsibility of the leading and feeding of God's people through the word and prayer, and, and, and that together, the elders shoulder that responsibility. And together, the elders come together. Because one of the implications of all of this, then, if Christ is the head of the church then that helps us to understand, okay, well, what do we do with our human leaders? And, and even as you have just voted on me to this new role of pastoral responsibility, well, it's helpful to remember that Christ is the chief shepherd of this church, and I am one of the under-shepherds. Do, do not, be careful not to place pastors on pedestals, right? To realize that we are, we are in the middle of our sanctification just as you are, and oh, what a benefit it is to have a plurality of brothers together at that time to help sharpen one another, encourage one another, because you're in a difficult place as the congregation, right? You have to trust and follow fallen leaders, right? But, 
but that doesn't mean you should just distrust us and do whatever you want because when the body starts to run amok and we all then we're not submitting to Christ and that just goes crazy so it's helpful to have a plurality of leaders that we say we can we can encourage one another because you do have to submit and follow and we have a, a tremendous responsibility to lead so who leads the church well Jesus Christ leads the church and he's delegated out that authority and responsibility in several different ways. And we need to understand that and think about that. Bruce Metzger says this, Insofar as the members of the body are in subjection to and respond to orders from the head, which would be Christ, the body is healthful and efficient. When such harmony does not prevail, there is discord and anarchy. So it's helpful to think about who leads the church. What's the role of pastors? What's the role of elders? What's the role of deacons? What's the role of church member? And thinking through all of that and realizing that Christ heads the church. What else does it mean that Christ is the head of the church? A second implication would be that we have a love for the body of Christ. Here's what I mean by that. That Shawnee Baptist Church would have a love for the universal church. We so love God and his gospel and the way he has put people together in churches that we look at our brothers and sisters down the road not as competition, but as members of the same body. And we love the body of Christ. You'll, you'll regularly from time to time hear us praying for churches and pastors who are down the street a couple communities over and we look at that and we say this is not this is not Shawnee Baptist Church versus so and so church this is the body of Christ and as long as they are faithful to the gospel and faithful to the word as taught that we see and view that God has put us together on the same team in the body of Christ and so we want God's church to grow that's what we love. We love the gospel. We want the church to grow. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're striving for Shawnee Baptist Church to be the best church in the neighborhood. We want the gospel to grow because we believe that we belong to the body of Christ and Christ is the head of the church. Third and final implication, and with this we'll close. If Christ is the head of the church, I think it's significant for us to think, well, what is his plans for the church? What does God want accomplished through Shawnee Baptist Church here in Shimong, New Jersey, through the rest of 2018, 2019, 2020, and beyond? If Christ is the head of this church, I think it's significant for us to, to pause and to wonder what should his church look like? I mean, he's the head. He's the one nourishing it. He's the one providing it. How has he gifted us to carry out the mission that he has put us here for? As Ryan said, God has a church for his mission. What has he put us here to do? What has he uniquely gifted us for? And I, I think we'll keep thinking about some of these things in future weeks in the way we think about the way God uses our gifts in the church and the way a church is built. But listen, here's why I take this, here's why I think this is one of the more significant things of anything I have said this morning. My, my fear is not that Shawnee Baptist Church would fail. Well, that's one of my fears. But even perhaps just as damaging with a different kind of consequences 
is not that we would fail, but that we would succeed at the wrong things. What if our church grows and there's a flurry of activity or we think we're busy, but if we've gotten detached from the head and we're not fulfilling his plans for this church and we become detached from Christ, why are there so many churches that have lost the gospel and have lost any difference in the world, but their doors are still open and their parking lots are full? It's because they've become detached from the head. They've become detached from Christ. And so Earl Rodmacher says this, Thus Christ is the vital head of a community that has passed from death unto life. Apart from him, there would be no church, for he is its originating cause. The very nature for the life Christ gives to his church, then, is the cause of inseparable union, for they possess the same life. Brothers and sisters, my desire, and I, I even mentioned it in the Q&A a few weeks ago, I don't come here with this grand, glorious vision of the next 10 things we're going to do in the next year. Um, I, I haven't yet figured out what Christ's plans are for the church. I think over time, when we submit ourselves to that call and we pray together saying, God, show us what your plans are for Shawnee Baptist Church in the coming years. Elders, this is a good challenge for us that we, that we seek God's face and his heart and his desire and what should we be about as a people and a church in the weeks and years to come. And, and, and that's our desire, that we stay connected to our head. Because we can have lots of flurry and activity, and yet that doesn't constitute a healthy church. That's a decapitated body, and there is no health in that, right? So let's pray that God uh, not only reminds us of the body and the fact that we need one another and the body needs us, but that we're the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of his church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love that you have shown to us in the person of Christ. I thank you for this church that you have put us together in. And I pray, Father, that we would submit to Christ as the head of this church and that you, in your loving kindness, we thank you that you have fit us together with different members and different gifts and you've created us to be a body. Oh, that we would, that we would live in that reality. Please help us to function in this way and to grow as we are. We ask and pray in Christ's name, amen.